Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Daniel Schaefer, investment banking correspondent, Jennifer Thompson, retail banking correspondent, and Brooke Masters, our chief regulation correspondent. This week, we'll take a look at Wall Street Bank earnings last week. We'll discuss British lenders' attempts to have a deadline imposed for claims over the mis-selling of payment protection insurance. And finally, we'll look at the effect that a change in bank capital rules will have on the property market. Uh, First, though, Daniel, to the US banks. We had most, if not all of them, reporting last week. And it was a fairly mixed bag, I suppose, on most fronts. But what did you come away with? Were you heartened at all by the resilience (laughs) of some of these franchises? Uh, I wouldn't say I was heartened. Uh, The first point I have to make is that actually revenues and earnings in the fourth quarter have improved across the board. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what we've seen is that all banks, apart from Citigroup, have actually beaten expectations. So Bank of America has, Morgan Stanley has, Goldman Sachs has, and JP Morgan has. And Citigroup is sort of a special case, I would say, firstly, because they were hit disproportionately by by mortgage litigation, but also because uh, Mike Corbett, the new CEO, is sort of doing the, what every new CEO does, which is the kitchen sink, kitchen sinking everything that, you know, yeah. that's bad and then to have a clean start. So there's a big um, legal bill in there and also kind of maybe more uh, hits to credit yeah. uh, impairments Yes, this time. But one has to say, despite improving, uh, improving results, the overall uh, levels, uh, if I look at investment banking in particular, are still very low if you, if you look at it from a historical perspective. Yeah. And so what banks are doing now is they're cutting compensation. Pay, yeah, we saw I that right say. across the uh, across Wall Street, really. Yes, didn't we? that's yeah. been really the the main trend is across Wall Street. Banks are starting to quite drastically uh, reduce pay. Now this Goldman is Sachs, yeah. this is kind of yeah. You're going to say about Goldman Sachs. Yeah. By the end of the third quarter, I think I'm right in saying they were the only bank across Wall Street that had accumulated more in in their yes. bonus pot uh, than they had the previous year. And yet, by the end of the year, they decided actually to eat into that. Yes, uh, they did. Pretty yeah. aggressively. They actually put the foot on the brake massively in terms yeah. of pay. Their compensation to revenue figure ratio went down to 21%. Right. And that's the lowest they had since they went public. So it's it's really, you know, it's it's the lowest quarterly uh, level we've seen. That'll be a blow to bankers, I'm sure, especially after the ones in the UK have been hit by this idea that they might have had their bonus payments deferred until the new tax year to save on the higher rate tax rate. And yet, yes, backed away from that. <laughs> yes. uh, so a, a double blow. It, um, yeah, what about the other banks? Were they doing similar things? Yes, uh, they are. I mean, everyone is. I mean, JP Morgan has kept it sort of stable. Yeah. So the, the ratio revenues, um, compensation revenues at JP Morgan is stable, um, but City has reduced it slightly. Morgan Stanley is, re- is reducing it and also deferring more than they have done in the past. Yeah. And what we've also seen is that CEO pay at some banks, at least uh, notably JP Morgan, is going down. Jamie Dimon, the CEO, who um, 
had to take part responsibility for the, the London Whale accident, so the, the, the wrong on um, credit derivative bet that JP Morgan made, and that led to a 6.2 billion loss. Yeah, and his bonus was halved to 10 million. Uh, I suspect dollars. that's a trend that we're likely to see uh, reflected <clears throat> in European bank earnings over the next few weeks, aren't we? As there's a lot of uh, accidents that CEOs are going to have to pay for over the uh, coming weeks. One of the ones we know about is RBS's chief executive giving up his bonus over uh, over an IT disaster last yeah. summer, but there will be more, I'm sure. Basically, everything what we've seen with the US banks now, we will see in the next few weeks at the European banks, but in an amplified and much stronger way. They right. will cut pay more because mm. they're under more regulatory pressure to do that and n- not only investor pressure as yeah. the U.S. banks. Also, their revenues are not as strong as the U.S. banks, which have a d- better home market. Yeah. And also because of the whole litigation issue, the, the things they had like selling scandals, libel scandal, etc. Yeah. We will see more in terms of executive pay being, being cut being at the European banks. We'll watch it very closely. Thanks, Daniel. Our second topic for the day is the maybe conflicting trends that are kind of emanating in the retail market in the UK. I mentioned in the introduction that there was an initiative to impose a deadline of uh, May 2014 for customers to make claims over mis-selling compensation following the PPI scandal. At the same time, in a separate development, the British Bankers Association is, is pushing this idea of something like an ethics board to help revive, uh, I suppose, trust in the banking industry. Jennifer, do you think those two initiatives maybe slightly ill-timed that they come together because they seem to contradict each other? I suspect putting a, a deadline on PPI claims is not going to do anything to help restore trust in the banks, is it? It was rather poor timing, yes. I suppose the banks would argue that at the start of the week, the initiative they announced this sort of creation of an independent banking standards review council or, or ethics board. Mm. This is something looking to the future, whereas at the end of the week, the news we had on PPI and how the banks are lobbying for an earlier deadline on, on claims to be made. This is dealing with very much the, the legacy issues. But yes, absolutely, the juxtaposition was an unfortunate for them. So where is it going to go from here, particularly on the on the, the standards board? It's an interesting idea. The banks are saying there needs to be an independent panel to a bit like the kind of general medical council in the medical profession to restore trust that bankers are decent sorts. Yes, I mean, it's not clear where that will go. It's certainly true that, you know, bankers um, for the past few, few months now have been you know, speaking loud and clear about the need to restore trust um, in their industry. And it's rather telling that they're saying that this board or, or this body, you know, will need to be completely independent. So, you know, they've kind of moved away from, you know, just pure self-regulation. And, you know, the language itself was rather punchy. You know, there was talk perhaps of a, a blacklist for employees to prevent them from working in the city again. Um, so, Sorry, come back on what you were saying about self-regulation. Now, obviously, there is outside regulation through the Financial Services Authority, but you mean in terms of ethical standards? of, of Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is talking about an ethical code and, and how sort of the industry will police itself. Mm. But they made it quite clear that this would not be run solely by bankers, that it needs to be independent in order to restore trust. Mm-hmm. I think it's part of the exercised by the BBA, really, to reinvent itself as something that's more connected to society, isn't it? They're they're setting up these consumer panels and so on to stop 
uh, themselves being a, a body that's just bankers talking to bankers. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, banks are making much of talking um, about customer and customer needs. But of course, at the same time, the biggest customer need at the minute for many people will be redress for, for PPI. And I mean, that's a whole kind of worms when you talk about things like claims management companies and, you know, so the ethics Yes, you know, of people true. getting redress, of course. But, you know, overall, there is sort of it is pretty much the consensus view that PPI was widely missold. Um, and obviously, you know, kind of a sense that the banks are trying to curtail the window for people to seek redress has uh, has not gone down particularly well with many consumer groups. Just a final word, because I know one of the lines on this was that the banks were talking to the Financial Services Authority about trying to persuade, I suppose, the regulator to support this idea of a of a deadline for payments. Where where is that going? Because the FSA was fairly cautious in its response to that. The FSA has been absolutely crystal clear on this. It is willing to consider the proposal. That does not mean it is, you know, either positive or negative towards it. It just means that it wants to hear from all parties concerned. That will obviously mean consumer groups as well as as bankers. You know, this does not mean that a official consultation has been opened if that ever does go ahead. So it really is at a very, very tentative uh, stage. And obviously there are certain legal and statutory hurdles that would have to be overcome if at any point in the future you know the banks got their way and this this statute was was curtailed i suppose it should be pointed out that one reason the regulator might be interested in putting a deadline on this is because the mounting cost of it to the banking industry 12 billion for the big banks so far is actually potentially undermining to their their capital positions their, their financial strength so there's kind of they're torn between the conduct side of things and the uh, the solidity of the system so on to our third topic a quick one on the capital rules uh, around property brooke you were looking at this as again a uk story but with international significance i think banks in the uk basically being required by the regulator to switch to a new method to calculate the riskiness of property loans Basically, under the global rules, um, regulators have always had the option to require banks to use this new method called slotting uh, rather than their own internal models. For there's a specific, There are about five or six classes of loans that you can do this for. Nobody uses it. The UK is one of the first countries to say, actually, we don't trust banks' internal models on, in this case, commercial property. And so we're going to make them use the slotting method instead. Which is basically a standardized methodology. It's, it's much more standardized. It's not as standardized as the standardized methodology, right. which is what little banks use. Yeah. But this, this could well become a trend in that you know, for things like what's called object finance, so airplanes, boats, yeah. that sort of thing, and project finance, there's the same problem, which is that mo- the models don't work very well for big, chunky loans, of which there aren't a lot of like-to-like comparisons. Yeah. And it could well be the solution for regulators who at the moment are very grouchy about the fact that banks are holding vastly different amounts of capital against similar projects. Now, there's some idea that this move could exacerbate the kind of north-south divide in terms of property prices, particularly London versus the rest of the country. Is that right? Because basically slotting means you divide all your commercial property loans into four categories, which range from low risk to high risk. Prime London property is low risk. Retail developments in impoverished northern cities are high risk. So it, you basically have to hold five times as much capital against you know a retail development somewhere up in Leeds as you do against the Shard. 
Right. It sounds a bit like the uh, snowfall divide uh, where we've had certainly some in London, but uh, maybe lots more in in more provincial parts of the country. On that rather tenuous weather analogy, uh, we should wrap up for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Daniel, Jennifer and Brooke for their contributions and to thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Connor Sullivan. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. The latest episode of the Next 5 podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of the Next 5 wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.